Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are barely holding it together while they do this Star Trek podcast they're a little bit embarrassed to do. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Yeah, my life feels like that scene in Undiscovered Country when Sulu wants all the power to the engines. And that (laughs) fucking guy on the bridge is like, it's going to fly apart then. And Terror apart then Sulu's like fly her apart God damn it Fly the fucking thing completely apart That's my life That's your life too right now Yeah the last episode we recorded I was dead on my feet I'd just been I'd been like driving and walking around all day Working my ass off And uh, we, we were supposed to record Two episodes and I just tapped out at one I was like No mas <laughs> The consequence of going out on tour was that we gobbled up all the runway, and now here we are a day before episode release day, and we're recording pod. This is fairly unlike us to be under this kind of schedule pressure. This feels like a gun to the head. The only thing that could really make me feel less existential terror right now, Adam, is if uh, one or the other of us started open up packages Open and I I just happen to have a couple of packages right here, Ben. <laughs> Fuck you, Captain. I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm receiving a code forty-seven. Verify. It is code forty-seven, sir. Starfleet emergency frequency. Captain's eyes only. Ben, lucky us. I went down to our uh, official greatest gen PO box. That that address, of course, is one zero three seven Northeast sixty fifth Street, number two sixty three. In Seattle, Washington, 98115. That is uh, not to be confused with our official B.O. box, which we also have one of. That's where we keep our body odor, Adam. I know what that joke deserves, but I don't know, Ben, if as its editor you've got the guts (laughs) (laughs) to to drop crickets on your own joke. (laughs) All right. uh, What we have here is a tube package. A package in a cardboard tube that is taped so well that I am being very dangerous with an X-Acto knife in opening it up. Oh, it, it, it's got a it's got a plug, a blue plug in in the end of it. Looks like uh, looks like some posters. I will try to get them out of the tube without destroying. What if they're posters for our show? <laughs> It's like, hey guys, would you mind signing these? (laughs) Okay. Do not destroy the posters. Do not (laughs) destroy the posters. What we've got here is an original Visit Anybody Canyon poster. Whoa. Sent to us from Matt uh, from... Columbia, Missouri. Hey, cool. And uh, this is this is basically from my lips to Matt's ears. We put out a request a long time ago. Wouldn't it be great, Ben, if we had <laughs> if we had one of those like spoof postcard posters from like the tourism board? 
yeah. Of, the... uh, this is like as if anybody Canyon had a tourism board, <laughs> and they were advertising at it as a great place to visit. It says they're they've got to be around here somewhere at the bottom, <laughs> and it is a it is a Will Riker yelling into the canyon, and there's like a Grand Canyon scene in the back. Uh, nice choice of Wild West typeface. I think that's <laughs> super fun, and, and like an eagle flying above the canyon. It is printed on some sturdy cardstock, and it's really beautiful. That's poster one. Here's, here's poster two. A variation of the same. It says, <laughs> uh, greetings from Anybody Canyon, with the same tagline at the bottom. This version of Anybody Canyon looks a lot like the OG Anybody Canyon with those, those purple crystals. And are really beautiful, Matt. Like, God, it's... <sighs> we should do something with these, Ben. That's all I'm going to say. Like, uh, not just... Frame them and put them on the wall. Yeah, they are They are suitable for framing, and they are beautiful, and I will definitely uh, share them on the social media. Pretty awesome. <laughs> That's cool, man. I, You know, I was thinking uh, about Greatest Gen Con and how fun it would be if, uh, if there was a way to, like, display all of the cool like homemade stuff people have sent us over the course of doing the show at it. I have got a strange relationship to the idea of a personal display. Ben, do you have time for a story? Sure. I haven't told an embarrassing story in a long time. Well, you do less embarrassing stuff than me. Let's be honest. So uh, in the fourth grade, I was a, I was a member of a newly relocated family to to the to the city our family had just moved from Norfolk to uh, <laughs> to to Redmond Washington where I went to an elementary school nearby and in this elementary school there was a display case this display case was used for student collections <laughs> uh, it was a way for you to get to know your other students through what they chose to collect and lots of times there'd be like I don't know stamps or uh, <laughs> so it was like a rotating curated yeah. display yeah, like, like in the airport when you see like absolutely artifacts or something like, like that every month there would be a different display like someone would put in like like old pictures of their grandparents or or like i don't know it was sort of it felt a little bit get to know me instead of like here's the things i collect i chose the second interpretation i chose to (laughs) use it as a place to show off my collection of star trek ephemera (laughs) as a new as a new kid in town and at school i thought this would be a great thing to do boy did this backfire (laughs) because what i put in this (laughs) <laughs> were things that uh, didn't exactly look great as a collection, like 20 Star Trek The Next Generation books that I had read. <laughs> the plastic model that I had built poorly. <laughs> uh, and whatever action figures I managed to collect at the time. And uh, and in and on like a, a 3x5 note card, my name and grade level. Uh, displayed prominently. <laughs> Not a great decision for me socially, Ben. It was a decision that uh, that had sort of a ripple effect 
through the rest of my years at that elementary school. What is going on when adults let kids make decisions that bad? <laughs> that's that's what I'm saying. Like, I look, I take responsibility for that choice. Bad decision by me. But also, this is this is a school full of adults who should consider themselves counselors for for youths like myself. Right. Youths that may be on the wrong track, Ben. Youths yeah. about to commit social suicide. I could have been stopped. They should Boys have stopped in me. trouble, as it were. <laughs> I believe that's what Boys Town is all about, isn't it? Like, it's taking a, a child who is about to display an embarrassing collection, and you, yeah. you stick them in a town. So you stick yep. them in a camp, you, 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 you teach them right once this, they're there. This I should needs- have been taken out of class. He needs a big brother. He needs some kind of mentor who's going to show him right from wrong. Uh, yeah. I, I did not know any better, Ben. And so the display went up. Uh, the reaction was not good. Uh, it remained for, I don't know, the two weeks that it was meant to remain. And then I put all of those things in a brown paper bag, took them home on the bus, and uh, never spoke of them again. <laughs> just a, just two solid weeks of feeling hot under the collar during every waking hour. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that that basically informed everything to follow for me. <laughs> that was an inflection point. You know, a lot of people, they have inflection points in their lives, Ben. Moments no. that changed everything. I believe this is uh, this is something they discuss on Inside the Actor's Studio. If if that fucking guy from Inside the Actor's Studio ever interviewed me, he'd ask ask me about that inflection point moment, and this would be it. You'd have an answer chambered. Humiliating, Ben. Well, Adam, uh, fortunately, your humiliation, W slash R slash T Star Trek has not ended because <laughs> we get to do this show. But all journeys do eventually come to an end, yeah. as does one Wesley Crusher's in the episode we came to talk to uh, to the folks about today. Should we get into it? Yeah, let's do that, Ben. It's season seven, episode 20. Journey's End. <laughs> Well, Adam, Wesley... Wesley, the boy. The boy. Young Wesley Crusher. My son. Has come aboard. He's like, I, I don't know, what is this, spring break or something? Yeah, it sounds that way. Senior year spring break from the academy, and he's spending it on the entrepreneur. His mom has gotten him separate quarters so he can feel like his own man. They're as far away from mine as possible, so you don't even have to see me if you don't want to. Everyone's excited to see him. Yeah, everybody's excited to see him, but he has a plate of shit under his nose. Yeah, he's uh, he's rocking some real attitude from Jump. This, he should return to the Enterprise like a conquering hero. Like, he's the most popular kid on the ship. He has exactly the opposite issue that I had when I displayed my collection. I, like, I was immediately thinking when I saw the way he was acting, like... Do people hate him on the ship now because of the fact that he attempted to cover up the preventable death of one of his classmates? And then 
Journey and Data like busted and they're like, hey, chum, great to see you. <laughs> Welcome back, Wes. Jordy and Data are like, we've killed people lots of times based on our bad decisions. <laughs> it's okay. You're one of us now. Yeah. Data's like, do you think that I've never lit a plasma fart? <laughs> That's like my main thing, dude. I'm totally suicidal. <laughs> I want to die more than anything. <laughs> Like they don't get it. They they can't quite they can't quite hang, so they just get right out. They sort and of do that thing where they like they give him a little bit of a wide berth, like, Oh, he must be tired from his travels. We'll come and see you later. Like that sort of uh that sort of exit. It's a weird scene and it's one of those it's one of those cold opens that just ends as just kind of like something's wrong, but we're not gonna say what. Beverly leaves Wes in the quarters after kissing him on the mouth. Ben, I mean, not to get too personal, but uh, how old were you when you stopped kissing your parents on the mouth? Uh, (laughs) I was young enough, I think, to not remember when that stopped. I I don't remember when it stopped either. I, uh, yeah, it's, it's weird that we kiss kids on the mouth, I guess, to me. I mean, maybe I'll, maybe my tune will change when fatherhood uh, comes my way, but uh, it seems weird with an adolescent and it seems weird with a little kid <laughs> to me. Let's, let's be clear. It seems far weirder with an adolescent. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not trying to like throw shade at anybody. Yeah. I was just at like a big family gathering and it was definitely clear that like, I was not necessarily always on the same page with relatives of mine, W slash R slash T, how we express affection for one another. Uh, oh? <laughs> yeah, like... A lot of limp-armed hugs. Yeah, like Being given and received. Like me going for the hug and realizing as I'm, uh, you know, like past the point of no return that this was supposed to be a handshake. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's tough. Yeah. And you can try, you can try and save it and turn it into a dap, but you know that's not necessarily something every like sixty-five-year-old uh, lifelong literature teacher is aware of and able to do. <laughs> uh, those, those. <laughs> I don't even know what to say, dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> I'm just trying to I'm just trying to embarrassment one up you, Adam. I was happy to see Wesley I mean, even though Wesley is a total shit for half of this episode, I was happy to see him <laughs> and it made me grieve for the many interesting Wesley episodes that we missed in his absence. And I mean that totally sincerely. Like I think yeah. Wesley is an interesting conduit as a character to go through uh adolescence with and when he was on the ship his storylines were not great his acting uh i think even he would admit was uh was equal <laughs> was equally uh, regarded but for him to leave i think deprived uh the viewer especially viewers of the age that you and i were at the time of that person that person that they could really uh really like feel like they could embody and so yeah. to see him come back made me feel like we were really missing something. Like, I think there were great stories to be told with him that didn't get told for that reason. 
I wonder why they spent so much time in the first several seasons of this show doing storylines about how Riker and Wesley had other opportunities elsewhere that they might need to go do. Yeah. Like, it it seemed like from jump they were writing ways for Wesley to get off the show. Yeah. Into scripts. The... The... The direction they chose to go with Wes was really weird, too. Like, from the beginning, he's boy genius wunderkind. But <laughs> but what if he were just a normal kid on a ship full of adults where no one was like him? He's just as different if he's standard-issue teenager. The stories right. are just as interesting if he is having a hard time adjusting in this, in this adult pseudo-military world. Yeah. Like, in that way, he becomes more, more like us than than even as a genius. You know. Well, I think that this series is when they realize that everything doesn't have to take place on the bridge. Yeah. You know, and like I, like the like the original series, like almost everything that isn't Kirk fucking a green lady on a planet is is set on the bridge, and yeah. so they. They they like shoehorned the character of Wesley into the helm position so that they could have him up there all the time. Yeah, because he had to be present in order to have a story told about him. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I agree. Like, I think a, I think a modern version might just have a like it's it's the same thing we said with the lower decks. Like, if you could just check in with people that aren't yeah. on the bridge all the time, like that's an interesting. Those are. Equally interesting stories to the ones that they found to tell. Right. Um, well, we come back from title sequence, and Picard is nervous and getting a bunch of uh, fancy pants sandwiches and canapes together because Admiral Nancheyev is coming aboard. And uh, he's very nervous about that because it usually doesn't go well between him and Nechev. I'm here to relieve you of command of the Enterprise. That old war horse is back. <laughs> Battle axe Ad- Admiral Nechev. <laughs> I still love her. I think she's great. This is a dope scene because, like, it's always fun to see Picard's status, like, flipped on its head. And... He's trying to curry favor, and it kind of works. Like, she's much nicer to him this time. I mean, he shows consideration for her interests in a way that that melts her icy axe a little bit. But you will notice, Ben, that she never eats any of the canapes. She just appreciates that they're there. Yeah. She's like, thank you for trying to play me a little bit. We don't get the scene after she leaves of Picard, like, using his arm to slide everything into a <laughs> desk-side garbage bag. <laughs> and then the scene after that where Worf, like, wanders through the, the observation lounge and sees a bunch of uneaten canapes in the garbage <laughs> and, like, double-checks to make sure nobody's coming and scarfs some down. Delicious. Worf is definitely the George of Star Trek The Next Generation. Was it in the trash? Yes. Then it was trash. For sure. <laughs> so what Nichev tells Picard is, is like, there's a planet full of colonists who have relocated there who are descendants of Native American settlers. 
And you know that they're truly Native American because as she begins to describe them, the pan flute starts playing. <laughs> yeah. They need to be relocated because uh, there's been a, a Cardassian Federation agreement that sort of redraws a boundary line in which this planet they're on is now inside Cardassian territory. Like, There's been some trading of planets when it comes to redrawing the territory. Uh, this mm-hmm. Native American planet is now inside Cardassian territory, and then the Federation, I suppose, has gotten a few ex-Cardassian planets, but... This poses a real problem because they got to get out because the Cardassians are uh, typically unkind to those who would be on their planets who are not invited. It's a heavy quandary because, you know, Picard rightly raises the kind of ugly history of disconnected white people in power making decisions about where native peoples are going to live and then, you know putting putting ink on paper to like en- enact that into law and then the right. native peoples find out later and are like what the fuck and it sets up a very real moral quandary because Picard is you know not really down with the political decision that was made but it is his job to go carry it out and that's uh <laughs> i mean something that i'm sure that people in military command structures deal with all the time right right uh, a tray of canapes isn't going to get him out of this pickle <laughs> ben when nechev was telling picard about this problem uh i was thinking if only picard had recently experienced the need to relocate a bunch of settlers uh why doesn't he deploy the paul sorvino solution to this problem <laughs> they already tested it out like, they're not going to have holodeck problems this time around. Like, they could tell all these Native Americans to get inside their tent. A storm is a-coming. They beam them to the holodeck. They oh, relocate Adam. them somewhere else. <laughs> it totally worked. Yeah, but these are not primitives. They're just traditional. <laughs> <laughs> they don't not have technology. Uh, ben, traditional- they traveled to this planet. <laughs> but, Ben, traditional can mean dumb also. yeah uh i mean i don't hate that plan but i like my hunch is that there's a lot more of these colonists than than we had uh in that little village that paul servino was so so hung up on right and uh and i imagine the I mean, like, well, the prime directive is one thing. I imagine, like, deceiving a bunch of Federation citizens and kidnapping <laughs> them and then taking them to another planet and leaving them there is probably not a great look. Yeah, but, like, on a list of outcomes, <laughs> them saying no and getting killed by the Cardassians has got to be number one awful. And then down the list has got to be the forced relocation, right? Yeah. I mean, there's no good answer to this problem. Like that's that's the that's the central thrust of this episode. And he keeps telling the <laughs> chair that, like, you're putting me in a really fucking hard place. And she's like, "Well, tough tits, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> that's your job. If you don't relocate them, I've got a starship with a cargo hold full of blankets that might take care of this <laughs> oh, problem God. for you." <laughs> 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 I've got I've got the hood full of some textiles 
<laughs> Captain DeSoto's like, uh, and we're not supposed to touch him, right? Okay, I gotcha. And then where are we dropping him off? Okay. No problem. Why are they all in these vacuum-sealed baggies? Well, it's not my job to ask any questions. <laughs> I'm just hauling my butt back and forth across the quadrant. <laughs> so they head off to Dorvin 5, the the uh, planet in question, where these uh, these American Indians are living. And uh, in the meantime, Wesley has, like, changed into, like, <laughs> philosophy professor at Reed College drag and is, like, wandering around the ship in, like, a vest and a turtleneck just it moping is, around. It is hard tweed. You know, sometimes <laughs> you'll see, like, a tweed jacket or something that looks like it almost needs to get broken in. It's so It's so sturdy, like it could stand up on its own. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like he's nice... wearing a bulletproof vest of tweed. It's a, th- it's definitely a thornproof vest. <laughs> and he's being like a shithead to Jordy. Jordy's like, "Hey, look at all these cool like aftermarket mods I put on my warp core." And Wesley's like, "You probably just got these out of the auto trader. These are bullshit." Yeah, he is straight up like rolling his eyes at Jordy. And most people wait until they're out of. Uh... <laughs> They're out of sight to roll their eyes at Jordy. Like he's doing it right in front of him and copping a, a total attitude. He's it's not just subtle, he's actually being a dick directly to him. And Jordy yeah. finally says, like, what the fuck, man? Why don't you why don't you just go ahead and leave engineering? I didn't even want to hang out with you anymore. I know you're warp Mozart or whatever, but I taught you everything you fucking know. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, right now you're more like warp Salieri. <laughs> Sick burn, Adam. <laughs> so Picard meets with these Indians, and the Indians have decided to exclusively send men as their delegation. <laughs> so one of the ways they're traditional is that they're super patriarchal. <laughs> Are there even any women characters on the Indian planet? Oh, man. Or just background actors? That's tough. I think they're in the background, but deep background. Fuck that. Yeah. Give me a rough. break. Uh, but they're like, they're like, hey man, like we're gonna hear you out on this. And Picard is like, listen, like I don't, I don't like this at all. Uh, but you know, this this treaty has like been signed by the Federation. I've been sort of given the uncomfortable task of bagman for this information <laughs> and. Uh, we found some cool planets in the neighborhood that aren't on the Cardassian side of the line that I think you guys are going to really like, and uh, we want to do what's right here, but uh, we got to we got to get you off this planet first, first and foremost. It's an interesting version of Lawyer Picard, right? Because this is a version of Lawyer Picard that does not necessarily believe what he's saying is right. Like you, you can see him twisted up about this. Yeah. He's making a strong case. He's making the only case that he can, but the full like lawyer Picard gravitas is not behind it. There's also some like I don't know, like the the like thing that makes a lot of border conflicts and land disputes so hard in so many places is that like religion gets involved, like Right. And and then it's not just like like how can we figure out a 
a mutually agreeable way to whack this whack this land up. It's like, oh, like we're Protestants over here and we're Catholics over here. So like that factor will make it impossible to ever reconcile this or, you know, mm-hmm. we're like Hindus on this side and Muslims on this side or whatever. The Indians have like a real spiritual connection to this place. And so they're like, hey, like it's not just a planet to us. Like we, it's more than that. And, you know, we didn't really get consulted when somebody drew a line that that put it on the wrong side of it. So Picard's, fuck yourself. Picard's reaction here is like, you've only been here 20 years. Like <laughs> I find that reaction totally appropriate. Like, look, I get, I get the native people's argument that they're there to stay like, and they've put down roots and stuff, but man, 20 years out of 400. I mean, those, those roots are weak. You could, you could yank the plant out of the ground and, and replant it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. They, so they don't come quite to an agreement in this sesh, and, and Picard is like, well, let's, uh, let's adjourn and everybody think on what's been said here today. Meantime, we're going to have a party up on the ship, and you guys are all invited. And it's like, it's basically just kind of pushes that conversation into a new context where Picard gets to like walk around with the long, white-haired elder of the tribe and like rap with him about what's going to happen and uh you know like they this further exposes how like far away from they are on a philosophical basis but there are times when the greater good demands that certain sacrifices are made the old man is like there are also times when a people sacrificed too much oh and also by the way uh, your distant relatives were responsible for resettling some people back on Earth. So why don't you quit repeating history, you fucking <laughs> asshole? <laughs> this this really like drops an anchor inside Picard. Like he's like I was I was not familiar. <laughs> I'm not gonna do that impression, but he's like I I was not familiar with that bit of history. The yeah, guy's like, like the guy's like, look it up, asshole. <laughs> like this is actually like a pretty cool moment in the script because I feel like a lot of white people are like, well, my family never did anything, so it's yeah. fine. Like yeah. I, like don't tar me with the brush of of white supremacy. And it's like, not all Federation, right? <laughs> yeah, it's totally not all Federation. And he's like, hashtag yes, all Indians, buddy. Also in this party is plate of shit Wesley who is like it's like mope you know like don't go to fucking 10 forward and make everybody else have to deal with your bum out Wesley yeah like, he does that's... the thing where he shows up late and then he goes and sits by himself <laughs> like thanks for participating <laughs> yeah yeah he's like sit sitting by himself in a way that's like you know he's not looking at his phone he's not reading a book He's not even drinking or eating anything. He's just sitting there, like, picking at his, the skin on the palm of his hand. And uh, this dude comes up behind him and is like, Hey, I'm really glad you're here. I've been waiting for a long time. I had a vision quest about you. <laughs> this is a guy that we'll know as Lakanta and the amazing Technicolor Pendleton shirt that he wears. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's got... 
He's got that mysticism that can only be accompanied by an even louder pan flute than, <laughs> than has ever been heard before. <laughs> Here's the thing, Ben. Like, Wesley is such a shit up until this moment. I don't really understand why he's listening to him. Like, he's not listening to anyone at this point, and all of a sudden he's going to listen to this jack-off? Like, he's like... Uh, I'm having a really deep sense of spiritual ennui. I I wish somebody that was a caricature of spiritualism would come up and talk to me. Yeah. I <laughs> And this I think thrusts at the main issue with the episode for me, which is like you don't have to make Wesley a shit to create an opening for Lacanta to get into like to to dig him out of this hole, right? Like his it doesn't have to be this could way. Have been, his character could have been sad or just like feeling listless and directionless. He doesn't need to be shitty to his friends. Also, yeah, it felt like lowest common denominator character work here. Like like you could play more subtly with his emotions, but. I guess you need to write him broadly for a new viewer, I guess. I don't know. I don't know why he's like this, but it's troubling. He just kept talking in one long, incredibly unbroken sentence, moving from topic to topic so that no one had the chance to interrupt. It was really quite hypnotic, hypnotic, hypnotic. So the Federation has basically admitted to the Indians, like, hey, listen, like, we want to do this in a way that you guys are cool with, but if if in the end we can't reach an agreement, we've been ordered to just like literally beam you up against your will and take you somewhere else. So like we hope it doesn't come to that, but that's our line. And so like while Picard like tries to keep working on this diplomatically, he has Worf like working on the strategy for if they have to just be total assholes about this and uh not helping matters are the is the fact that the cardassians have shown up this is the first time that i've really had a look at the cardassian uniform you know like they they tend to shoot the cardassians waist up but you get like a full cowboy shot here of this lead cardassian <laughs> guy and you're talking about gully vec I am Gully Vic. How do Cardassians sit down while not <laughs> having their uniform poke them in the dick? <laughs> because that thing comes down in a sharp V. Like, there's no way to sit down in that uniform, is there? And yet we see Cardassians sitting all the time. Not everybody keeps their genitals in the same place, Captain. Yeah, where is a Cardassian dick? It must not be at the bottom of that point. <laughs> Have we ever seen a Cardassian kneel? That point really draws the eye. <laughs> that's a that's a variation of the deep V, isn't it? <laughs> it's the deep D. <laughs> yeah, this guy this guy shows up to the planet early in sort of a scope out mission, like he's wanting to do the home inspection before buying. And yeah. Pic and Picard's like, hey, hey, buddy, uh, we're actually trying to do some di diplomacy here. This is not a great time for you to make an appearance. Can you just like go so we can continue to dispute this? And the Cardassian I thought that, that was a bad call on Picard's part. He should have been like, "Oh fuck, the Cardassians are here. You guys are in big trouble now. You better do what I said." 
Well, that's just it. This gull in a very loud voice is like, what is there to dispute? This is our planet. (laughs) You got to get these people out of here. I know I don't have the keys yet, but I made the down payment. So technically. (laughs) Yeah. Not a a good look. It it, it really puts Picard on the ropes. It puts him on the ropes and it shouldn't. Like it should be like it should like the Cardassians have a. A, a real bad boy rep around this part of the galaxy and you would think that you could play the fact that a bunch of them are walking around with guns for oh, yeah. like hey let's get the let's let's uh consider this from a safety of the colony standpoint like are you sure you want these assholes all over the planet or what's up <laughs> why didn't picard hit his communicator and be like hey will uh where was the heads up on this like it's your shift on the bridge, right? Like, you could have told me a Cardassian ship came into orbit. You could have told me that they were going to beam down. What the fuck? <laughs> like, they never should have had the jump on them like that. Yeah, you definitely don't want it to get to there on the surface of the planet before the captain knows. This is another example of something that happens throughout the entire episode, which is Riker not helping. Like, his role as an XO should be to offer alternatives or to... I don't know, support your commanding officer when he has a tough decision to make. But not only does he not tell Picard about this Cardassian ship, at no point does he ever offer counsel to Picard when he's making these decisions, even when he's in all the McLaughlin groups, even when he's just around. Like, he he's so unhelpful. It's weird. It's notably, like, his help is notably absent from all these scenes. He does not have much of a part in this episode. Yeah, and it, and he should. Wesley's on the ship, and he's totally being awful. Like, wasn't Wesley at one point in his care as yeah. like as like an adult counselor figure? He's not even helping Wes. Riker should be the big brother to to Wes. The uh, he should be like, no, dude, don't put your don't put your plate of shit in the school collection display. Riker's so absent, you'd think that Frakes was directing the episode. Wesley, meanwhile, despite the fact that Cardassians are crawling around making extravagant threats against everybody, Wesley is like in full like, I'm going to see what this what this man from a different culture can teach me about spirituality. This guy wants to smoke me out. I don't know where he got (laughs) his shit or or where I'm going to go to do it, but uh, seems like a pretty chill idea. Lakanta promises him a safe space. To, uh, to get smoked out and leads him up into this attic. An attic full of terrifying dolls, Ben. Yeah. Not really where you want to uh, have your hallucinatory vision quest. I think Wes has been led into a lot of strange rooms <laughs> that he's not comfortable <laughs> with. He just sort of goes along with the flow. Yeah. Oh, are those other gimps? Oh, no, they're dolls. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I was starting to feel right at home. <laughs> The trope of white guy going on vision quest is no mm. good, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's... I don't know, man. It's like... <laughs> it's early 90s. I guess this is this is what the, this is what you do in the early 90s. You, uh, Wesley's, Wesley's like, Lakanta, I wish I had spent some more time with your culture before I applied to Starfleet Academy so I could have put Native American on my application. <laughs> Might have gotten some better uh, scholarships and whatnot. <laughs> so Wes takes a massive hit out of the out of the campfire and starts seeing <laughs> visions of his dad. 
<laughs> and his dad I is- know what Doug Wirtz agent told him <laughs> when he got the part of Jack Crusher was like, all right, you're going to have three parts in this television show over the course of seven years, and you're going to have about four lines total across that span, but it's going to be really important. <laughs> I wish I could feel anything for Jack Crusher, you know? Like, does the whole Jack Crusher thing work for you? Because it doesn't work for me, and, and in spite of me really wanting it to. I think it's just because Jack was force-fed down our throats for the first three seasons, like, as as a main underpinning for Beverly and Wes, and, like, the main reason that Picard can't be with Beverly. But it would be great if if Jack Crusher was cool in some way that we knew about. Like, if we loved Jack Crusher the way that we're supposed to love Beverly, I think that would well, really he has help. he that cool I, uniform. He's just so anonymous. Yeah. It's hard to care. Well, anyway, Jack is like, look, Wes, you can go your own way. And then uh, in the background, go your own way. <laughs> He's like, uh, Wes, you don't have to go to the academy anymore. You you can blaze your own trail. Two two roads in a wood. Blah, blah, blah. Like I don't like, want to be one of those domineering ghost fathers that's always <laughs> making his son do the same career path that he did. You see, Wesley, (laughs) you're confronted with a different kind of ghost dad. A ghost dad who is encouraging you to blaze your own way, Rudy. You'll notice that when I walked into the foyer, I did not slip through the floor. (laughs) A gag that works in the trailer but stands up to no scrutiny, Theo. (laughs) So we cut back to Wes, and he's, like, blowing huge clouds. And he's like, oh, shit. I don't have, I don't have to do this anymore. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> and he comes out, and, like, he's, like, he's, you know, his eyelids are droopy. And he's like, wow, that was fucking super profound. And His tweed like, should be a washcloth right now. <laughs> like, he is so sweaty. He looks up and uh, up uh, up a set of stairs out here in in this village that the Indians live in is Worf and Worf is doing some tricording and Worf hasn't Wes gotten is- a memo that Wesley's a dick so he just treats him like normal Wes. He's like, "Hey buddy, how you doing?" And Wesley's <laughs> like, "What are you doing, Worf?" And Worf is like, "All right, man, just between you and me, like if these people should not see reason, we have orders to get them out of here. And Wesley's like, what? Hey, everybody, <laughs> did you hear that? Fucking Worf. Like, <laughs> shut the fuck up, man. Like, this is a major security bit of news here, and he just tells Wesley, Wes- <laughs> Cadet Wesley Crusher, who is so far down the line in terms of of what sort of top secret information he should have access to like he should not be told yeah uh so he, he shouldn't gets... even be on the planet surface what is he doing there getting high as fuck yeah so yeah he's he, got to uh, get high he like rouses the rabble he like comes very close to inciting a riot <laughs> and uh and, like, we go to commercial, and when we come back, he's, like, 
presumably still super high, getting chewed out by <laughs> Captain Picard. It's got to be so scary to be high and chewed out by Picard. <laughs> Can you just oh, man. Like, stop yelling at me for a second? Let me stop, gather my thoughts. Stop talking so fast also. <laughs> and also stop talking so slow <laughs> at the same time somehow. Do you think I could just go take a shower and come back and we could have this meeting later? Let me sleep this off and or eat an entire box of Captain Crunch without any milk. Picard is is so ripshit, he's like, you really fucked me, Wes. You double-crossed me and you fucked me. This is what happens when you fuck your captain in the ass, Wesley. This is what happens. This is what happens, Wesley. This is what happens when you fuck your captain in the ass. Picard is totally fucked here. They, yeah. there's, a, there's, an, there's an insurrection on the planet's surface, which I got to tell you, pretty tasty storyline if you're thinking about a movie down the road. Hmm, yeah. I mean, you could really spice it up if you... Stick a pin it, in this, I think. Gave some uh, some F. Murray Abraham with lots of extra skin to the uh, to the story. Say no but, more, uh, Ben. In fact, say exactly nothing else because that's all the story we need. <laughs> yeah, that's all we need. Uh, <laughs> Sold in the room. <laughs> My love is a So Wesley is in big trouble, and in the midst of this argument, like Picard is like, you know what this could mean for your career in Starfleet? And Wesley's like, I don't give a shit. I'm quitting Starfleet, and I'm quitting the Academy. Fuck you. I'm resigning from the Academy. He does that thing where he rips off his comm badge and sticks it on the desk. The universal sign for I quit in Star Trek. Yeah. It has a little less impact than the universal sign for I quit in cop shows, which is the comm yeah. badge and the gun. Yeah. Yeah. I guess he doesn't have a phaser in those little uh, cargo pockets on his uniform. That's true. This, I mean, I think Picard is so angry in this scene that he is not completely sad at this moment. Like, the the tilt up to him before the commercial break is just like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> sort of like that moment that refractory period after a fight when you're still angry like you have not come around to the idea of reconciliation he's still pissed mm-hmm. yeah uh yeah it's it's really uncomfortable and kind of devastating and then it kind of it kind of turns around when Wes talks to his mom and is like hey listen like this is something that I really thought I wanted but I I've realized in like taking it super seriously and working really hard at it, that it's not what I want. And I'm going to do something else. And she's like, let me try and talk you out of it. Let me talk. And he's like, no, like this, this is me being real for the first time in a long time. Beverly's like, maybe I could convince you by kissing you on the mouth over and over again. Would that help? (laughs) Unzip your mask. (laughs) Beverly comes around to this this idea pretty fast. She's like, look, I'm your mom, and I love you no matter what. I had no idea you were suffering like this. And, like, if this allays your suffering, then you've got my support 100%. Like, I wanted to leave Starfleet uh, four episodes ago to go fuck a candle. 
So, <laughs> like, uh, this is not a this, this is not nearly as flimsy of a reason to leave Starfleet as that was. Like, she's probably the most forgiving person that he could find. In if that you want to leave Starfleet to go fuck a campfire, <laughs> I can totally see that. <laughs> what is up with the Crusher's attraction to uh, to flame? <laughs> It's just so magical, you know? <laughs> and the last thing I think she says to him is that, like, she remembers that episode way back at the beginning of the series when they met the Traveler, and the Traveler was, like, uh, really impressed with Wesley's ability and said that he was like Mozart but for warp. <laughs> and Wesley's like, that's really great to hear. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. <sighs> By telling him this she does that thing that the traveler warned her not to do also remember when the traveler told picard and beverly he's like look this kid is special but under no circumstances are you to tell him how special he is (laughs) he's got to find his own way man yeah go your own way (laughs) back on the planet surface (laughs) You can tell things have gone from bad to worse. I can just see Bill Bill Tilly listening to this episode, like head in his hands, like (laughs) that is the worst. That is the worst singing I've ever heard in my life of a classic rock hit. (laughs) You know when you've lost Tilly, you you've lost the crowd. Bill Tilly just turns to the camera and sheds a single tear. Oh, that's uh, that's sort of related to uh, the people depicted in this episode, Ben. Was that that's intentional? The, that's part of the joke. <laughs> if there is ever an opportunity to explain the joke, though, Ben. To let the air out of my joke. <laughs> Down on the surface, you can tell things have gone from bad to worse because nobody is attempting to do diplomacy aside from Worf. They have no right to be here. The terms of the treaty gives them the right to survey this planet. We don't recognize that treaty. Worf is barely holding it together down there. (laughs) He's like periodically like like hitting his communicator. Uh, guys, not exactly my strong suit. Uh, little help. And, you know, it's like turning semi-violent and, uh, Wesley is is down there, and he's, like, about to go intervene. And uh, he, like, freezes time. And Lakanta's like, no, dude, you've got you've to let them solve their own shit. Like, mid-firefight. Like, yeah. the phasers come out, and they start shooting. And Wesley yeah. does a full-on freakout. He does the sort of freakout that you would see in a M. Night Shyamalan movie, where the freakout pauses everything or maybe it's the sort of freak out that you'd see in saved by the bell when uh when zach says something like all right stop if i don't find a way out of this my life at bayside is over and then he's like walking through the frame and yeah. lakanta's like like you're better than this you're not even on their same level and not only that i'm not on their level either and then he morphs into the Traveler. It's like the end of Return of the Jedi. Every <laughs> every black villain has a has a frail white man inside of him, and every every Native American has a gray alien inside of him. A gray three fingered alien that it looks like they didn't finish painting. I had never <laughs> noticed that the Traveler, 
like the airbrushing on his neck was incomplete. I thought he was all silver everywhere. But uh, the airbrush on his neck, especially, he's got he's got flesh colored neck. Yeah, I guess he does. Looking at it now, yeah, it definitely just stops at at his <laughs> weird collar. Yeah, it's nice to see the traveler again. That's a deep callback. Yeah, I mean, definitely plays into a, like a another like racist ufology thing of like yeah. oh the the natives have been in touch with the aliens forever. <laughs> Maybe right. they secretly are aliens. He said that they're aware of many things. Do you feel like these Indians are more or less caricatures than what they, than how they treated the space Irish? Less. Uh, yeah. I think that, like, there's things that are, like, embarrassing misses. Like, uh, yeah, like, only white... Uh, uh, only dudes get to come, like, make any decisions on behalf of the tribe or, like... Right. Uh, or like, hey, we just have a room full of like indistinct religious crap, and you're we're gonna let this white guy have a religious experience in it. Yeah, a but, place. But a at the place... same time, like the episode does point, like make some like very good points about the nature of white supremacy and like historical injustice that white people have brought on people yeah. of color. Yeah. So yeah, it's, dude. It's 90s, you know? Like Yeah. It's like like everything. No one was woke in the 90s. Yeah, nobody was all that woke. I am the cutest of all. You will assist us. I am the cutest of all. You are all. So the traveler basically offers him the thing that Doc Brown offers offers Marty. He's like, "Come along with me, man." We can uh, we can travel through space and time together. You'll learn all you need to know, and I'll be your teacher if you have me. And Wes is like, school sucks. I'm going to go <laughs> off with you. And like he's like, just let me pack my things. And so he does. And he goes off to live with the traveler. I guess if you control space and time, Ben, do you even need to pack anything? What do you need a bag for? Yeah, you definitely don't need one of those weird cylindrical cases full of iPads. Yeah. I love the idea of the traveler like going to help him pack. He's like, you're not going to need that. <laughs> you're not going to need that. That either. <laughs> yeah. Wes is like, how about the, the like mini toiletries I've, I've gathered from all the hotels I've been to? Like Those can come in handy. He's like, you're not going to need those either. The hotel we're going to has its own mini toiletries. <laughs> you're you're going to be good. <laughs> Picard wraps it up with the Cardassians and Indians basically saying like the the Indians are going to live on the Cardassian side of the line and be in their Cardassian jurisdiction. They have like this one dude at the top of their social hierarchy has uh, unilaterally rescinded the Federation citizenship of everybody in the colony. And if he's cool with that and the Cardassians are cool with that, I'm cool with that. What? The fuck, Ben? Picard has got such a short memory. He was tortured by Cardassians almost to death. What does he think is going to happen here? <laughs> Everyone on the camp is going to be murdered in like a week. They're all dead. I think that fucking treaty's got to get rewritten. That's the issue. This is the Hugh thing. Like, Picard thinks that Hugh is 
like sending Hugh back is going to be just as good as genociding the Borgs. And he's thinking <laughs> this this ragtag group of Native Americans is going to somehow make the Cardassians feel like they, they should not uh, genocide them off this planet they now own. He has a lot of faith. Like for a pragmatic captain figure, he has a ton of faith in the goodness of people that really is not earned by the people he's giving it to. The button on the episode is Wesley with a vanishingly small amount of luggage <laughs> beaming beaming down to go be with the Traveler and Picard and Beverly wishing him adieu. Good luck, mister. Good luck, Wesley. And that is the last time we ever see Wesley. <laughs> Except for that one time he comes to that wedding. <laughs> and And totally does not... I don't even, I hardly even remember that scene. Does he even does he even bring up the traveler? Is it insurrection or nemesis where he's he comes to the wedding? I can't even remember. I don't know either. I, I don't guess think we'll he get says anything. Eventually. I don't think he has lines. It's so fucked up. Like the first thing I would ask Wesley about if I were to see him again is like, what's up with you and the traveler? You must have seen some crazy shit. In a lot of ways he was the star of the show in the first season. Yeah. Like yeah. he was, he was, he was like our proxy character. It seems like if you wanted to get weird with a final Star Trek: The Next Generation film, you could really, you could really make Wesley the underpinning of that, and whatever the fuck the Traveler did to him. <laughs> he traded like he, his black leather mask for a gray nylon one. You know, like you could make the argument that he sort of gets Anakin here. By the Traveler. Like, he has all these mysterious powers that they do nothing to conclude story-wise. He just goes off and, and does his training. It's totally unresolved. It's weird. Did you like this episode, Ben? I did, Adam. It's fun to watch as an episode and maybe more fun as a an artifact of the time it was made. Oh, interesting. Than, like, a just good episode of television. But it is interesting to see it kind of like, you know, like the story moves and it and it like there's a bunch of interesting scenes and like, well, many of them are creative failures of one kind or another. I think it like it held my interest in it and made me think a lot about what ways social mores have evolved and like in what ways this episode was ahead of its time and in what ways like this episode is dated and shitty. Yeah. What is interesting to me about this episode is the degree to which the story might be related to Will Wheaton's relationship to the show. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know a ton about this, but I do know that uh, Will Wheaton was dissatisfied with his role on the show and did not necessarily get along well with the the cast of it and sort of acted his way off of it. Like... He wasn't a joy to be around for a time, and then he left. And I wonder to what degree the story of him leaving the show the first time around informed the storyline for this episode and the idea of his redemption in it. The Crusher curse. Or the idea of him able to able to conclude his story on better terms. Or, or I mean, better slash open terms. I mean, yeah. I wonder... I wonder how many regrets Will Wheaton has about the circumstances 
in which he left the show the first time. I mean, I I really do think that that was a missed opportunity for for him and the show. I think he could have been an instrumental part of it, and his character could have had a lot of fun stories to tell, and and we'll just never know what those were. But in that way, I find the story interesting, but the, the caricatures certainly don't help, and I don't know, like, in the same way that I find the Traveler such an interesting figure and yet totally unmined as as a as a story engine. Yeah. So yeah, I I medium like the episode is what I'm saying. <laughs> ben, do we have any priority one messages that we might like a little more? Oh, we sure do, Adam. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental link. Supplemental. 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 Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have a couple of Priority One messages here. The first one is of a commercial nature, and it goes like this. Hey, Colin, don't forget to to write that Priority One to promote our podcast. Just the basics. It's called Common Geeking Program. One of our hosts picks a topic that three people relate to other geeky media. Tell them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow at Geeking Program on Facebook and Twitter. None of that drug Shimoda, Kevin Uxbridge, Razin, Plavim nonsense. And we talk about more than just Star Trek. This ad should be well written. Don't just copy and paste this message. Get it done, Jeff. Uh, so that is for uh, the podcast Common Geeking Program. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google, <laughs> Stitcher, SoundCloud, Facebook, or at commongeekingprogram.com. Jeff. <laughs> I thought I was fairly clear about the hurtful feelings I had about not being invited places. <laughs> and here you are, uninviting me preemptively. <laughs> to join the Common Geeking Program podcast, how dare you? <laughs> I I feel like Kevin Kevin at one point was an omnipotent, unkillable figure whose whose depth of power could not be plumbed entirely. And now we know his soft spot. His soft spot <laughs> is not being invited to things. That is how you hurt him. Yeah. I'm everywhere all the time, and yet <laughs> I would prefer to be considered welcome. <laughs> Maybe that's what the Hoosnock did to him. Really. Like, they invited everyone else to the party and not him. <laughs> Pretty brutal. Ben, our second priority one message is of a personal nature. It is from Shit Weasel, your friend who <laughs> caught up to this dumb show in a month. Whoa. And it is for Honey Bear from Scrambles. And I guess also a P1 from episode 94. Message goes like this. Honey Bear and Weasel at Montante Farms. Coco Nonos and Wharf Calisthenics at Long Point. Drunk Shimoda all around. I'm so sorry you missed the live show in D.C. I was so excited to go with you, but I'm glad you and Sarge were out having fun on the playa. Let's fight again soon and riff on this old entrepreneur over some podcast fluid. Were we in competition with Burning Man? <laughs> Is that what that's saying? 
I don't think there's any competition between us and Burning Man that we couldn't win. Is that why nobody showed up to our shows wearing a shirt but no pants? Oh, I, I thought we were pretty clear on the dress code for these. <laughs> Poo-bearing only. <laughs> uh, well, if you'd like to send a Priority One message, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message, and it is 200 for a commercial message. Embarrass your friends and delight your fans with a message to thousands and thousands of listeners. No pants necessary. Darmok Angelad. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. 
Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? <laughs> drunk Shimoda! <laughs> What's that? That's, uh, that's, that's taken a hit from the campfire. Uh-huh. Just sounded like doing old man. My, my drunk Shimoda is Worf. Um, in that scene where he is like yelling at the colonists, like, we're doing this for your own good. <laughs> And uh, and like they they break out the the phasers and start blasting away. Like worst job there is definitely like do whatever you can. Worst job there is definitely do whatever you can to de-escalate. <laughs> uh, but if you look closely, he actually shoots one of the Cardassians. <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't know if it was like a mistake that the people doing the comping did or like a Greedo shooting first like maybe this is something that they snuck into the <laughs> HD remaster <laughs> but like it goes by blink and you miss it but like Worf definitely center masses the the Cardassian that they're trying to that they're trying to take into custody when when the fighting starts I don't know man if I had to shoot a Cardassian I'm pro- I would probably shoot him in the dick that's the only spot that isn't covered with that body armor right <laughs> Just cracking off dick shots. Uh, did you have a drunk Shimoda? I did, Ben. Poor Deanna Troy <laughs> is <laughs> is given the too tall task to speak credibly about the Pueblo Revolt of 1680. Are you familiar with the Pueblo Revolt of 1680? I am. A historical event that she should know nothing about. But while she's at the McLaughlin group with Picard and uh, and the old man is is really giving Picard the business about his uh, his ancestors, uh, W slash R slash T relocating the old man's ancestors. He's like, yeah, Picard, what do you know about the Puebla revolt of 1680? Picard's like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Troy's like, um, actually, I know all about that. Exposition, exposition, exposition. <laughs> there is no fucking way Deanna Troy knows anything about that. <laughs> and yet she basically delivers story to camera in that scene. By, I'm just in a way thankful to that they didn't it. give that line to Riker. <laughs> uh, yeah. not. I mean, Troy needs something to do, I guess, and this is it. So that's my drunk Shimoda. Like, how many takes did this take? This is probably a one right? Yeah, just say it and get on with it. On Moving with your on. Life. Yeah. What do we have coming up on the next episode, Ben? Next episode is season seven, episode 21, Firstborn. A mysterious family friend arrives to help transform Worf's reluctant son, Alexander, into a warrior. Do you remember this episode, Adam? I think I sort of lost the memory of this episode to time. I, I don't know. Like, this is every other Alexander episode. Worf wants Alexander to be a warrior. Alexander wants to make clay ashtrays. Like that's <laughs> that's the central conflict to their relationship. This is one of those. Yeah. I really have no that 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 description jogs nothing in my memory. <laughs> yeah. This is every Alexander story. 
Like, why do they feel the need to give Alexander a bottle episode in season seven? This is terrible. He doesn't deserve this. The Traveler should have taken Alexander, too. Gotta wrap up every little storyline, Adam. Yeah. Yeah, well, gotta watch it. Well, uh, in the meantime, we're gonna be hanging out on Twitter. Adam is at Cut for Time. I'm at Benjamin R. A-H-R. And we use the hashtag GreatestGen to discuss the show with everybody. It's a lot of fun. There are also great Facebook and subreddit groups where uh, people gather to discuss the show and point out when we forget to use a little sound effect or two. Uh, and uh, what else? Uh, if you like the show, and I have no idea why you would, uh, support for the show can happen over at MaximumFun.org slash donate. Uh, by going there, you're able to support the ongoing production of this show. Uh, other ways to support the show involve uh, buying some of our many great merch items. we got t-shirts and glasses and a whole bunch of great things and uh, and more on the way too. So we really appreciate your support there. Indeed. We should thank Dark Materia for our theme music and Adam Ragusea for our other music. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and an episode of The Greatest Generation that really doesn't want to do any of this Klingon stuff. Waveform. Me too. I've got waveform. I've got music. I've got podcasts. Who could ask for anything more? <laughs> Show tunes. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.